we're going to focus on Colossians 3, verse 15. Uh, Mike read 12 through 17, and I've been on that for a while, I know, and I hope that, that it's, uh, there's just so much in it to me, and it's been hard for me to move, move very fast uh, in, this, in this section. And I, and I hope that it's, it's been a benefit to you. But tonight we're going to focus on verse 15. I'm going to read verse 15 again. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you once again uh, for your word. God, your word uh, has endured time and critique. God, your, your word has proven true. And God, I pray, Lord, that right now, God, that we would lean on your word. God, that you will reveal yourself through your word. God, that you will sanctify us uh, with your word, Father. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would learn tonight, God, if we don't already know, Father, that, that we would learn tonight uh, what true peace is with you. And God, that we would learn to be thankful in it. God, I pray, Lord, that you will do right now what man cannot do alone. God, that you will open up my mouth and speak for me. God, what you would have to say. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would, God, speak to the hearts of each person listening. God, we love you and we thank you. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, as, I, as I saw, really, um, I put this sermon together last week and the, the week before. And, and there was so much going on that week. And, uh, of course, every week, I guess you could really say. Uh, but I saw pictures and videos, probably like y'all all saw, of the, in the, the airport at Kabul in Afghanistan. And I, and I also heard of that week of this 36-year-old basketball coach on the coast that died of COVID. And I learned, you know, that week that uh, Coach Bynum had been put on a, a ventilator um, with, with COVID. And I found out about a, um, a former student of mine dying in a wreck in that week. And I find out about one of my best friends, his first cousin died and and it was unexpected and and it was on the same day that his um that his sister had a birthday and 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 what made that even harder on him was that his sister had passed away years before so they were already having a hard day because they were you know thinking of her on her birthday and then his first cousin passed away and then i saw a picture of a little five-year-old girl Y'all may have seen this on Facebook. This really stuck with me. This little five-year-old girl helping her four-year-old little brother out. He was, he was getting sick over a toilet and vomiting, and she was helping him out. He had been through several rounds of chemotherapy. And, uh, you know, it just broke my heart as you saw him, you know, being helped by his five-year-old sister. It seems that chaos has ensued my world as I was, you know, just that, that whole week was just um, unbelievable. And, um, and, you know, we were, we were out of school. And so, you, you know, you don't really have that busyness that a lot of times when things are going on like this, sometimes you can't even really stop and think about them because you're so busy. 
but that wasn't the case last week. And we had the storm come through, and, and it just seemed like um, it magnified all that was going on around the world. And, but, you know, it, it, really, it really shouldn't shock us. You know, th- these are things that have been happening in our world. You know, maybe not specifically those things, but, but these things are a result of a fallen world. And, and tonight, we don't really try to hide from those things or ignore the brokenness of our world. That's not what we're trying to do when we focus on this Scripture. These things are reality. Those things have happened. They are happening. They will continue to happen if the Lord tarries. And, and they're going to happen until Christ returns to make all things new. These types of things will happen. What we want to focus on tonight is really what true peace is, though. What really is true peace of Christ? Where in all the brokenness we can truly find peace or what's called shalom. What does shalom really mean is the first question I'm going to pose tonight. Uh, First, I wanted to think of the opposite to get a a good view of what peace is. So what, what is it not? And, you know, I started thinking about, well, the feeling of, of un, uneasiness. That's definitely not peace, is it? And the feeling of contention or conflict, war. That's definitely the opposite of peace. But to be honest, if we stop just there, then I think we'll, we might get the wrong idea about what this peace truly means. See, it comes from a Greek word, irene, which is a negative peace. And what that means is, it means that it is a peace that is not without trouble. So there's trouble involved, or that can be involved in the peace that we're talking about. It's not a peace without trouble. And we're not a world without trouble. And nobody lives a life here without trouble, do they? Our lives are full of trouble. So the peace that, we'll, that we're searching after is not a peace that, that where our problems just go away. Um, story that I, that I read one night, there was this, there was this uh, storm. And there was this passenger ship in the Atlantic. And the storm was just tossing the passenger ship violently back and forth and it woke everybody up that was on board. Even this, the eight-year-old daughter of the captain of the ship. And so she wakes up startled. She said, what's the matter? And her mom comes to her and her mom explained about the storm and then the girl says, is my father on deck? And after she was assured that her father was on deck, she snuggled back in and she went, she went out. She was good as long as she knew the Father was on deck. That's the type of peace that we're really searching for as believers. It's not that the storm doesn't come, but that we know who's in control of it. That that's the peace that we search for. And, and I don't know about y'all, but I mean, as I was putting this together, I was thinking, this sermon... I don't know if it's for anybody else, but I know it's for me. Because I feel so much disqualified even giving this to y'all. Because if anybody, you know, really loses peace over what, looking back on things, very insignificant things, is me. 
I struggle with it. I struggle with it. Even though I know I have that head knowledge that God is in control, so many times my peace has been stolen, I feel, because my feelings and emotions don't always reflect what I know to be true. So I struggle with it. Peace, to give you maybe a definition, and maybe it'll be helpful. I found a few things that, that can help us really grasp it. A binding or joining together again of that which has been separated or divided to join it back again. In the Hebrew, shalom means all is well. That's what you're, that's what you're telling someone. All is well. Jerusalem, the capital city, the holy city of the Jews. Jerusalem actually means a city of peace. Jerusalem. There is considerable difference between, between peace and a truce in there. Shalom also conveys the sense of being at peace with God and involves more than forgiveness of sin. It's more than that. It's more than just being forgiven. Being at peace with God is, is fullness in relationship with Him. It is fullness of life. It's prosperity with Him. And I'm, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm saying prosperous in every sense of the word is that Adam and Eve in the garden, they had full shalom. They did not have to... They didn't have to Adam didn't even have to toil for the fruit. It was there. Didn't have to sweat. Peace with men is expected result of shalom. Shalom is the word that's used when we see in the Old Testament peace offering. It's a shalom offering. The peace offering was one of the blood sacrifices of which the shed blood was the atonement on which reconciliation and peace were based. So it's a reconciliation. As they offered this peace offering up to God, it was reconciliation. That means that there was a brokenness between relationship and this, this symbolized a restoration, a reconciliation, atonement that was made. In the peace offering, this restoration of fellowship between God and man, broken by sin, but now atoned for by shed blood. Of foreshadowing of, of Christ. It was indicated by the fact that both God and man, priest and people, partook of the offering. That both partook of this peace offering. We have been searching, struggling to find peace. Brother Tony mentioned battles this morning. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. I, I don't know if that's an accurate, that's what I read, but I, I don't doubt that. 8% of the time. In its study, the periodical discovered that of 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace. Moreover, in excess of 8,000 peace treaties were made and broken. We're, we're a, a people that search for peace, but we can't find it. It's, it's so hard to grasp and to hold on to. The world searches for peace. But there's a difference. 
What is the difference between a worldly peace and a godly peace? That's the question. Because false truth brings false peace. It will. If, we're, if you're looking for false peace, you can find it. And the world can offer it to you. We must beware of false peace in the heart. And, you know, think about Jonah. Jonah deliberately disobeyed God. Yet he was able to go to sleep in the ship during the storm. You know, basically a lie to himself, right? He knew he was running from God's command, but he was able to sleep when nobody else could during the storm. He, you know, if you've heard people say, he probably said, I had a peace about going the opposite direction. I, that's what people do. As long as I have a peace about it, it's okay. Even if it goes against God's commands. I know people who have told me that and they, their actions contradict the Bible. People that have gotten divorced and said I had a peace about it. How? How can you have a peace about something that God forbids? So here there's problems with that. Having a peace about something that that is against Scripture. And, and so false truth can give false peace. We don't want to have peace that goes against Scripture. Because that means that we're at odds against Scripture. It, it takes war to bring about peace, doesn't it? it when, when Hitler is out of control in Europe, could you go and make a peace treaty with him? They tried that, right? And he promised he wouldn't take any more, and then what did he do? Took more. He was a madman. He wasn't going to stop. How do you stop Hitler? He takes it all. To find true peace, it often lead, it, it often takes war. And and I'm not I'm not going on a rant about you know, military history or, or ethics and what we've done as a country. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within ourselves. I'm talking about the war within ourselves to fight against sin inside our own lives. It takes war. We're at war with ourselves every day. I say this too. Unknown truth brings no peace. And, and what I mean by that is that, is that in order for pe- to hide truth from people or to hide truth from ourselves to, to not get in the Word. You know, ignorance is bliss. That type of thing. That does not bring true peace. we got to deal with these things. we got to deal with these things while we're alive with, with what the Bible says about the issues at hand. We can't ignore them. We've got to confront them in our lives. And, and really, to be honest, in the lives of, of, of our church family. There was a Japanese soldier. Think about World War II. A post-World War II Japanese soldier who failed to experience peace because he was never told that, that he was at peace. He was hiding in the jungles for 20 years still thinking that the war was going on. 
And, and the war had ended 20 years before. But he didn't experience that peace because it was an unknown truth to him. Somebody had to tell him. And, and we have to tell people that they can have peace with God. That right now there's no peace with them and God, but that there can be. True peace is from true perspective. And this might be an odd way to explain it, but I was thinking, you know, perspective is so funny. You know, I, I was, um, as I was like reading all this, y'all ever, you ever put your hand up and then you closed your eye and, and it covered up what you were looking at? You closed one eye and, and where your hand was that you could see that object before you close one eye. Right? It's perspective. You close the other eye, you can see it. You close the opposite eye, you can't see it anymore. Because that, that eye that you're looking through is looking at the hand. And the other eye is looking at the object. Y'all follow me? It's almost like double vision. And I was looking and I, and I saw my coffee cup and I closed one eye. I wasn't even thinking about it. I just closed an eye and I couldn't see the coffee cup anymore. And I swapped eyes I could see the coffee cup. And I was like, really, if you saw that from one angle, that there's no coffee cup there. And from another angle, there it is. All about perspective. And so much of, to me, where peace really is, is perspective. Like, what are you really looking at? Christian peace. This is from Barclay. Theologian Barclay. Christian peace is something quite independent of outward circumstances. A man might live in ease and luxury and on the fat of the land. He might have the finest of houses and the biggest of bank accounts and yet not have peace. On the other hand, a man might be starving in prison or dying at the stake or living a life from which all comfort had fled and he be at perfect peace. The explanation is that there is only one source of peace in all the world. And that is doing the will of God. When we are doing something which we know we ought not to do, or we are evading something that we know that we ought to do, there is always a haunting dispeace at the back of our minds. But if we are doing something very difficult, even something we do not want to do, so long as we know that it is the right thing, there is certain contentment in our hearts in His will is our peace. So if we want true peace of God, it has to be found in the will of God. That's, that's where we have to find it. We should be worried if we're not doing the will of God and we find peace. We should be worried. For the mind set on flesh, right, is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Or in other words, that mindset on the flesh, that's, that's a mindset, that's an Adam mindset. It is you're controlled, dominated by your evil nature. You're following after your evil nature, which is opposed to God. It cannot please God. But one set on the Spirit is one that is controlled by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Isaiah, uh, or excuse me, I'm jumping ahead. In Adam, all men are dead in their trespasses and sins. Hostile toward and at war with God. That's where we are outside of Christ. We're at war with God. We're hostile towards Him. Whether we realize it or not, 
Well, there are people outside this building. I think we do. I think y'all have been in your word enough where you know that. You know you're an enemy of God before you were saved. That you were hostile to God. But there are many who don't know that. They, they see it as, you know, almost like, well, I don't, I don't bother God. He doesn't bother me. Then I should be good. You know, I'm just going to live my life and be a good person. And, and I'm not bad enough for Him to send me to hell. And that's how many people kind of look at it. But they don't understand that by not doing His will, they're opposed to Him. There's no in-between. They're an enemy. Just like I was an enemy of, him, of His. At war with God, not at peace. But it says they're at war with God so that our peace with Him is disturbed. Paul explained that just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because, because all sinned. Romans 5.12 For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15.22 Isaiah put it bluntly like this. In Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace, no shalom for the wicked. There's no peace for the wicked. All peace that they might seemingly have is false peace. Matthew Henry asked, what peace can they have who are not at peace with God? So you might think you're at peace with, with God. You might think you have peace. But if you're not in His will following Him, you are opposed to God. You're an enemy of God. You're hostile towards Him. And so we have to know that. John 14, 27 says this though. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So our God, our Christ, He is a, he is a, um, a deliverer of peace. He wants to give us peace. Not as the world gives peace. Do I give to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So here he's distinguishing. Not, I'm not giving you a peace the world can give you. This is something different. And, and so he is distinguishing between what we would think is peace and what truly is peace. But first we need to be at peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace with God can only come through Jesus Christ, who is called the Prince of Peace. In Luke 2.10, at the declaration of His coming, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be with, uh, for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ Jesus the Lord. And then in verse 14 it says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. He is coming to make peace between people and God. His people and God. Isaiah 53, 5. The suffering, the, the prophecy of the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Like what He did on the cross brought peace for us between us and God. And with His wounds we are healed. And if that, you know, to sum all that up, you can go to Ephesians 2. And 12 through 18 really sums it up. 
I know it's a little lengthy, but I want to read that to y'all. This is, this is what Christ Jesus does for us. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ. We've been there. We were separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of the promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. That was us. That was you and I. We were without hope. We were without hope. We were without God. We were strangers to the promise. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought in. For He Himself is our peace. He's peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that was between you and I and God. That's what He did. He killed the hostility. And He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And that was a lot. And there's a lot you can go into detail about what all that means. But basically, He's telling us we who did not have peace now have peace because of Christ's atonement. Because of what He did on the cross... We go from hostiles, from enemies of God, to now, as we sang, friends. That, that, that now, loved ones, family. And so, so the call that, that Paul makes in Colossians is let peace rule in your hearts. So what does that mean, let peace rule? In secular Greek, rebeo meant to be a brabeus. Now what, here's what that means. So that word rule, it, what it's telling us to be is like an umpire, a director or arbiter. To let, to let peace rule or let, let peace be like an umpire in our hearts. Now, I'm not a big fan of referees, but there are, some, there are some referees that are, I hate to say it, I, they're a lot more professional than I am. Because sometimes I, I would be getting on those referees and man, they'll just take it. They won't say a word. They'll, they'll, they'll just keep on going about their business. And I've seen it before where these, you know, especially with baseball. And I've seen it where, you know, an umpire, he'll make a bad call and that, and that baseball coach will come out of that dugout and they'll start kicking dirt on that umpire. And there'll be some umpires, they'll just... Take it. That, that dirt will just fly all over them and they'll be in their face and they're just standing there. A, an umpire in this sense of the word would be one that would assign a prize at the end of one of these Olympics or games. And he was to be a judge and award the prize. A good referee or umpire will remain unfazed at what's going on around him keyed in, like focused in on the task at hand. Even if a coach comes out and kicks dirt on his shoe. Or ask him, what are you doing? Let the peace of Christ rule among you. 
That's what it's saying. Like, let it be an umpire that's unfazed at what's going on around you. Let it rule your hearts in that way. Jesus is not upset by, he, he wasn't upset by outside circumstances. He was focused on his mission. His will was to do the Father. Remain calm and collected when other people are panicking around him. That's how we're to be. We're to let the peace of Christ, His peace, rule our hearts. And we're supposed to do that, it says, in one body. So peace should rule in this church. Peace should be what we're about with each other. Spurgeon says this, Do not fall out with one another. You are called to peace, for you are cared for in one body. Does one hand in the body fight with the other hand? Does the foot contend with the eye? Of course not. For they are in one body. So you are in one body with all your fellow Christians. Therefore lay aside all strife. I deeply deplore when I see Christians, and especially eminent Christians, contending with one another about minor matters of small account. We should never let something minor cause dissension in our midst. It should never do that. And, and I know that we've probably all been guilty. And we'll all have opportunity because, you know, one of us is going to have a weak moment and we're going to be the one that could cause the strife and another one's going to have to be the bigger one that time. And they're going to have to be the one that doesn't let it. You know what I mean? We're all going to be in that situation because we're all faulty. But let us be that way. Let us, let us try not to cause dissension and strife. And, and let us, if, if dissension and strife comes our way, let us be the peacemakers. Let us be the peacemakers this time. Next time it will probably be them with you. I, um, but that's what he's saying here. Surely almost anything ought to, to be born before there should be public strife among members of the one body. Peace with God should bring peace within the body. Peace with God. True peace with God should bring peace everywhere else too. You know, I, I thought I started thinking about the different believers that we saw all throughout Scripture and a few of them came to mind and I'll quickly go through these. I thought about, man, the peace that, that Paul and Silas had in chains. They're in chains at midnight singing and praying psalms. Chains fall off. You know, I thought of David, when he's facing Goliath, as he's facing Goliath, he, you know, he says to Goliath, you have come to me with a sword and spear, but I have come in the name of the Lord of hosts. Only true trust and peace of God would bring, in that situation, what he's facing would bring true peace to be able to speak that type of thing. Peace in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're told to deny them, to fall down and worship false idols. And they tell them, they tell them, our God's able to deliver us, but I love what they say next. I love, it it kind of throws out that, that idea, you know, of, you know, name it, claim it. Because they say, our God's able to deliver us, but if He doesn't, we still won't worship. We still won't worship those false idols. So, if, if He doesn't come through for us in this instant, we know that He's still God. 
We don't let it bend on based on whether he acts in this moment or not. Whether he chooses in his sovereignty to save us from this fire. We'll die in this fire still worshiping our king. Peace. They had to have peace to say that, to go through that. Peace in the storm where Jesus commands the storm, peace be still. And it obeys Him. And the people who saw it, they asked this question, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? He's the one that offers you peace. The one that commands the wind and seas is the one that can give you true peace. Peace on the cross. We see Jesus as, as they come to get Him. And, and that His own around Him Pull the sword out. But he tells them, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. As they take him, and they take him to be beaten, to be crucified, and the crowd is mocking him, and he says, Father, forgive them. True peace in the Father's will. True peace. It's a peace that passes understanding. Isn't it? Adrian Rogers, I love how he says this. Bible peace is not the subtraction of problems from life. It's the addition of power to meet those problems. You don't keep this peace. This peace keeps you. It's peace that passes understanding that we see in Philippians 4.7. You can't get it from a bottle. You can't get it from a syringe. You can't get it from a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a well-meaning friend, or a book. You can't even get it from the principle. You get it from God. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. That's your legacy. It's peace that the world cannot give. And it's peace that the world cannot take away. You find your peace with Him. That's where we get our peace. In John 16, 32, it says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. So He tells his disciples that you're going to be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone yet i am not alone for the father is with me i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart i've overcome the world so he tells them like in in your in your darkest hour when you feel alone he says i'm i'm the one that supplies you with this peace I'm giving you, I've overcome the world. The victory's already won. That's, that's where we find our peace that, that does pass understanding, is that the victory is won even when we don't understand things. Even when it seems hopeless. We know who wins in the end. And Spurgeon says it like this, if we lose inward peace, we lose more than a fortune can buy. And every time I think about peace, I always think about Horatio Spafford, who, you know, lost everything besides his family in the Great Fire in Chicago. And then his wife and four girls were on the way across the Atlantic and their, their ship sunk and all four of, her, of his girls died. And his wife gets, you know, to London, I think, and she wires back, you know, a telegram and all it says is what it saved alone is what it read. So she was saved, but the girls all died. 
And it was on the, on the boat ride where they said this was about, so he's on the way over to see her, and, and they say this is about where the storm happened. This is about where your girls died. And it was there he gets out a pen, and supernaturally I know that it had to be gone because there's no way that you have the peace of God come over you in an instance like that. Uh, I mean, a peace come over you unless it's God. And he wrote these words. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That he could pen those words, only the peace of God would allow him to do that. There was, there was a contest that I read about in which the artist we're, we're told to um, paint a picture that best, that best kind of symbolized peace. And these, it came down to these two pictures. And one scene was this quiet mountain lake, just real serene, you know. The second one, though, was of this thundering waterfall. And there was this branch over, like, this birch tree from this just this waterfall coming down and it was bending over just foam just pouring off of it and the fork of the limb there was this little robin that sat undisturbed from the water under the branch like it wasn't even going on that one wanted that's true peace is, is what the judges said you had this serene mountain lake and everything at peace around it. But this violence going on. And you had this little bird with these eggs that was protected by this little limb that had no clue what was bearing down on those eggs. You know? True peace. To rest while the storm is raging is perfect peace. To ask the question, is the Father on deck when it's storming? And true peace, it brings thanksgiving. I can't imagine that it wouldn't. When we're at true peace, the spirit of thankfulness is shown by an entry of a diary. And I know I've read this before, but, but it, to me it's just so fitting. Matthew Henry, famous biblical commentator after he'd been robbed, he said this, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, because although he took my purse, he did not take my life. Third, because although he took all I possessed, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. I mean, that is, he found four ways to be thankful after he got robbed. That's why I need this sermon more than probably y'all do. Because <laughs> I don't know if that would have been me. And we see when David finally, here, here's, here's the last point I want to make. David, when he covered up his sins, he lost his peace and praise. But then we see in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, we see something different. I'm going to read just a little bit. that He gets it back, but it was after confession. You know, even as believers that, that if we're not confessing our sins, repenting from our sins, we have unrepentant sin that, 
that we are you know, going against God at odds with Him and we can't find true peace there. And, and David, in Psalm 32.3, he says this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And he, when I kept silent. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That's, that's some heavy conviction. You've been there? Where well, I'm refusing to confess. And, and David's saying that when I kept silent, my bones felt like they were wasting away. That I felt your hand that was so heavy. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And see what happened? Now the confession. And then look what happens by verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And then he goes on and he sings praise in verse 11. When he confessed his sin, his song returned. Let us be that, those people who seek after true peace, true shalom with God, that we would first make peace with Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that we would be a people who would honor His Word. And, and that we would continue to be at peace with God by continual confession and repentance. And that we would be a people that in and amongst ourselves as, as a body of believers, that we would be seeking to let Christ rule our hearts with His peace. And that we would seek that unity and peace in the body. And that we would be a people that I believe as, as those things happen, that I think thankfulness just naturally comes. As we let peace rule in this place, I think thankfulness is right behind it. I think it just is natural to flow. So I'll leave you with this um, as we close. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, give a benediction. And I'm going to pray and then we can have our song. Numbers 6, 24 through 27 says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. That's true peace. And that's, that's the, the prayer that we want. For our congregation tonight. Uh, let's pray. God my Father. I thank you Lord for the opportunity to come. And to speak your word. God I pray Lord that, that you would give true peace. Among believers here Father. God that you would um, first make peace. Between us and you. If there be any that are separated from you Father. And, and God that there would be peace uh, within the body. Unity within the body Father. Uh, and God that you would. Um, Bring about thankfulness uh, in that in that peace, Father. God, we love you and we thank you. It's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would.